0: Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, Is das ein Stück Scheiße, das mir entgegen schwimmt? I'm Nick Houten of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Simon Maddox. How are you, Simon?
1: I'm doing alright, mate. Doing alright. Thank you very much. Uh, good to be recording again. Yeah. Looking forward to some uh some chat about some really annoying things. Yeah, yeah. I think it's gonna be one of those the,
0: one of those episodes. It's something that I was talking about. I think I tweeted about it. I always tweet about stuff. That's mm-hmm. a good place to start. <laughs> Every time I do the adverts for the podcast and I write a podcast about Germany, I'm like, <laughs> Is it though? <laughs> <laughs> we did the podcast a few weeks ago with Sandra, and I was like, did we really talk about Germany? And I, I, I do the edit as well, so I know the bits that we did. But yeah, especially at the moment with how things are in Germany, there isn't a lot like happening. That, that Parliament opened mm-hmm. today, but we still don't have a chancellor. There was a, a funny article I read that was basically like Angela Merkel is now no longer the chancellor but she's the caretaker chancellor and she started a day by i think she had a church visit early this morning it's funny it's it's funny because you had this period of white hot Mm -hmm. election fever and then it's just dissipated to like snapshots and little bits of information lots of excel spreadsheets and charts of negotiations between the three parties in Germany: the SPD, the Greens, and the uh, FDP, mm-hmm. and that's that's it. The news stories just continue, but it's not that dramatic, really.
1: I mean, it's it's quite a nice position where like you know that a new government is coming and there are going to be parts of it you're not going to be necessarily happy with because of the nature of coalition. But you also know there's not going to be any really unpleasant surprise. It's a sensible conclusion to that election. And mm-hmm. you don't have... Yeah, I mean, Lash it didn't win. I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of confidence that comes from that because you only have to look at the US in the last few years or the UK today to see that making buffoon mistakes in public isn't necessarily a, a death nail. But yeah, Lasha has demonstrated that if you behave poorly, especially when it comes to the taste and, and morality in public, mm-hmm. people aren't going to go, oh, okay, yeah, well, it's okay. They're not supposed to be perfect. Yeah, being imperfect means that you aren't a good candidate for, for, to lead mm-hmm. the country. And that's a really, that's a good trait to have as a nation, I think. I mean,
0: obviously, when we spoke, spoke to Courtney, it was very, I found that conversation so enlightening on lots of levels. But she really sort of pushed mm-hmm. us and challenged us about making comparisons between Germany and Britain and, mm-hmm. how, and how it doesn't always matter. And I've tried quite hard to... It's difficult when you write a blog and do podcasts about about Britain and Germany. <laughs> and and my job currently is British Cultural Studies lecturer. It's very hard not to make those comparisons, but I, I think she was right to, to say that. But I think mm-hmm. at the same time, when you look at how things are proceeding with regards to the German government of formation of a government, you can't help but think... This is quite a mature process. This is quite an adult process. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have compared it to the negotiations in 2017 and have said, like, this is how you form a government. You Mm -hmm. know they're serious when they're they're setting up discussion groups and negotiation groups for each point and each area that they need to discuss. Obviously, we still have a lot of british news in our in our zone of information or whatever like it's it's always Mm -hmm. incoming every day there just seems to be some some ridiculous news story that you just like how do you process that and obviously you know on the ground it's a different experience and i think we both understand that but then there's also this like carrion call (laughs) essentially (laughs) of just just batshit insane stuff and so i think that's that's really the theme for the for the podcast this week is i think we're just going to strip it bare and start looking looking at some of this madness that's happening in Britain because
1: I think the German news does well yeah. a lot of the time but it only ever does so much. When when we started this podcast we said to each other from the off that we were going to make it like a positive space and we weren't going to talk about things like Brexit or Covid directly we were going to talk about stories that, that might be serious and issues that might be serious but not in a way where you came away feeling the burden of of those stories because mm-hmm. there is unquestionably a burden of facing reality especially back home in the uk reality is better here in germany and we are both <laughs> very very thankful to be here instead of back home especially talking about some of the issues we're going to discuss today but um yeah after this is episode 46 and apparently that's my breaking point over 60 hours of, uh, of published material And probably approaching 100 hours of recording for the two of us since we started. I finally have to just like let rip a little bit and get some stuff off my chest. Because it feels stupid to have done this many hours and just kind of hold it all on the inside. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's got to come out a little bit. I
0: think you're totally right. It feels a lot of the time you sort of avoid talking about it. But I think that's a really British approach mm. to dealing with bad news. Is It's certainly what I feel when I speak to people. And I found it really frustrating, especially when I'd go back to Britain just before Brexit happened. And just, it wasn't, people didn't want to talk about it. It was like, oh, we're sick of talking about this now. Mm. And I couldn't help but thinking, like, that's a really stupid approach to take. Oh, let's not talk about it. Or you'd have people, you'd start a discussion around the dinner table and someone, oh, let's not talk about politics. And I'm like, but this is like, happening now we can't even have like a a reasoned discussion about it because the topics are too depressing you know and it's like well yeah they are depressing but the fact that we don't talk about them is one of the reasons why some of the shit we're going to talk about today happens because people just turn a blind eye to it i think sometimes that's more frustrating than the actions that are occurring the reaction of people who are like oh well that's to be expected like this whole um our politicians are just sort of corrupt and liars Mm. it's really true now especially when you look at the government and and then through this election in germany you you didn't really have that so much you didn't have so many people talking about how much they distrusted politicians i think individual politicians but not as a in a general sense there's obviously the queer denkin but at this point i kind of you've got to dismiss them for the the hacks that they are it's the whole sort of queer denkin movement was a a movement of disparate groups that were hard to identify, except for the ones that were carrying, you know, German imperial flags. But then you look at new stories like about Joshua Kimmich. Mm-hmm. Ba- is he Bayern captain? Is he the captain of the Bayern team?
1: He's not the well, Germany he captain. captain, but he's—I mean, yeah—he's one of the key players of Bayern and the, and the national team, definitely. Mm. picking a, a role model from that team and this nation like he's he's top of the list
0: yeah. yeah yeah and he came out this week obviously asked it seems a preoccupation of a lot of journalists to ask mm. celebrities especially footballers if they're vaccinated and he had this whole line apart oh, it's a personal
1: choice and the lack of long-term studies
0: yeah and i find i find that's the thing is is we've gone we've moved away from the sort of overly fraught phase of the pandemic with protests in the street there's been very few if any i saw something in Nuremberg the other day there was some christian group against vaccinations christians against science oh, well enjoy that when you get sick you won't be searching for any scientists or doctors at that point but that's really and it was like a few people it wasn't a massive protest and it's moved now to like people in the in the public eye who, yeah, I mean, I don't think footballers need to be good role models per se. But I would at least, if you are gone, I don't really understand vaccinations and I haven't really done any reading about it. And my my gut instinct, my bulk fool is that I don't want to get it. I'd respect that more than him going, oh, well, you know, yeah, we don't know about the research mm-hmm. like he's gone out and looked at all the medical journals and done all the research himself i'm like no you haven't dude come on
1: well i mean at least he didn't come out and say to people do your own research I that, <laughs> is, uh, yeah. that would have been a lot more terrifying but yeah. so, of course you're absolutely right throughout his life he has had vaccinations and to be allowed to be part of kindergarten society and to yeah. enter the school system. Obviously there are long term test frailties when compared to the other vaccines he's had, but they still come from the same system and yeah, at this point it's kind of it's hard to follow this cue thing of like, oh they're all gonna be dead in three years. Yeah.
0: It's a millenarian almost. It's sort of like a cult where the end of the world is nigh, you know, and it's mm. it was like the Mayan calendar thing where they were like, Oh it's yeah. gonna happen in twenty twelve. Oh actually it's gonna be twenty thirteen. <laughs> you know
1: it's going to be it's next year we've we got the maths wrong i mean you got so many good options for who the new jim jones is as well is it alex jones is it is it trump there are definitely people forcing others to drink a Kool-Aid that's, yeah. i mean tucker carlson oh, i guess gosh, he's going yeah. to be very high on the list of people that have literally contributed to the deaths of his own consumers. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, uh, totally. No. But you, again, you look at America, you look at Britain and it's hard not to reason that Germany is quite a sensible country all in, all <laughs> things considered, <laughs> yeah. you know. And and I think there was there were some people who were complaining again during the German election that there were standards that were slipping and the the, the language was mm-hmm. was less than civil in certain instances. But actually the images of the the three leaders when they were debating, like coming together and talking together, Suggested that there was some kind of camaraderie that existed. Am I right in thinking that when Jeremy Corbyn debated Boris Johnson, they didn't even shake hands? I'm I'm positive that Trump and and Biden didn't shake hands. Like it's really divisive. It's really divisive in in those other places, less so in in, in Germany.
1: There was even one point in uh, Trump's debate with Hillary where he was asked point blankly to say something nice about her and when the level of discourse is the point where the moderator has been like come on please say something positive about your opponent yeah this idea that civility should be involved in a modern democracy is not mm. a particularly lofty wish it's it's pretty reasonable but i mean when we look at how that manifests in british politics today it just means that people mm. like quote latin at each other and use different styles of speech making to just sound proper but they can be completely mm. dickish to each other and the fact that we had a, a member of parliament being being reprimanded recently for using a word that was deemed unacceptable there is this list of things you can and can't say uh, in the house of parliament and that in itself just gives loopholes i forget which mp labor mp it was who was kicked
0: out of the house for the day for 24 hours for calling david cameron dodgy dave but this is this is it mm-hmm. and this thing I, i've been thinking about recently the more I'm, I'm doing a lot of reading around british politics and, and the development is what you realize is in germany politics is a hell of a lot more transparent in a lot of ways the communication is just transparent because it's a system that was built by design in the 50s there's a level of understanding people can have for it it's complex and the election system is really complex but you're treating people as adults you're not treating them as idiots whereas the british system there's mm-hmm. it's so based on precedent and things that worked in the past that people have just accepted or the the mechanics of government in britain is not fully it's not fully transparent in a way that allows people to engage with it in the same way i think german voters can engage with elections or engage with politics and i think that's to the detriment of of society in britain and the same to a certain extent in america because it just means people get away with riding roughshod over over the rules and it was only yesterday that richie sunak the chancellor released information about the budget that's that's upcoming before that it was announced to parliament which is like a big no-no mm. and he pointed out that was it in the 40s or the 50s there was a, a chancellor of the exchequer who was forced to resign because he did exactly that he yeah. told I think he told a journalist about a tax cut or something and he had to resign and now they're just doing it and no one cares and what you have is lindsey hoyle the speaker of the house complaining and then nothing's going to happen because they know nothing's going to yeah. happen. It's, it was already on the day it happened. It was number six, I think, on the Guardian top ten articles being read right now. And now it's not mm-hmm. even. It's just an afterthought, and that's how it's it yeah. seems to be. But people are a little bit more aware of what what is right and what is wrong when it comes to sort of speech in Parliament.
1: We can't expect politicians to maintain these standards themselves. They have to be enforced onto them by the government's structure itself or by the public. We see, at least once a year, um, a member of parliament or a member of governments here in Germany will lose their job because they plagiarized mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. at university. It's a massive thing during It is a yeah. really normal thing that happens here, that someone gets found out, mm-hmm. that they plagiarized academic material, and they have to resign. That's it. There is no, oh yeah, but it was 20 years ago or I didn't inhale, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, no, it would be totally that. Area. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just, it is just the way it is. And, of course, these politicians don't do it because they believe it is the right thing to do. They know it is the only way to have any chance at redemption later on. But, of course, Trump and now Johnson have shown that a series of small fires is a very, very effective way to keep people busy. I mean, they're just cheap magicians pointing, look over there whilst they do oh, yeah, something Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Have you heard of the, the Overton window? No, what's that? Right, so the Overton window is this idea about what, I believe it's what the public's perceived to be acceptable, mm-hmm. okay? And it's like the standards and, and expectations that the public might have for a discussion or a debate. And, and they talk about shifting the Overton window and this idea that by pushing to the extremities of, of what's acceptable, you shift acceptability mm-hmm. itself. And I think that's it's really applicable to what's happened in Britain because I can't imagine the kinds of things that people are saying would have would have and, and actions that people are taking would have been acceptable in 2015 mm-hmm. that are now totally totally normal and totally acceptable. The kinds of discussions that the, the kind of language that's being used, and I think that's that's again something that's really interesting. That that, that shift in and what people find to be okay for public discourse Mm -hmm. obviously i said don't want to make too many comparisons but it's hard Mm -hmm. not to when you watch german politicians on talk shows and they're being held to account in a way that just when they say inflammatory things it has a reaction the AfD make the the rfd the alternative for deutschland that's their strategy is to say inflammatory things they did this today referencing uh, the nazis when it came to talking about who would be President mm. uh, of the Bundestag that's their mission is to stretch the bounds of acceptability, but it's harder for them to do than it it seems to have been for for other parties and other countries for sure
1: I mean it was something that we we spoke about I think it didn't make the edit in the end but I, I asked Courtney if she if she believed that the the variety of of parties made it easier to have sort of a bit more discourse mm-hmm. because when we look at at the UK and the US and again I'm going to exclude Germany here for this. The fact that there is basically a two-party system. I mean, we have the Liberal Democrats in, in, in the UK, but they're not a viable option at the moment for a lot of voters. And any third candidate in, in the US is, is just taking votes from one of the other parties, really, and nothing else. Yeah. Um, and so if I'm, let's say I'm a Labour MP or a Labour candidate talking to a Conservative voter, I know that I have to get them to change... Almost every position they have. Whereas mm-hmm. if I am mm-hmm. from FDP and I'm talking to a linker voter here in Germany, there are certain things I can get them to move closer to me on. And maybe I don't get their party, uh, maybe I don't get their vote, sorry, but I get them to move out of this sort of very rigid framework of this is my party and I'm against them.
0: And everything they believe exactly.
1: in. Exactly. You don't have to fight people on everything because there are areas where parties cross over really, really easily and naturally. Um, If you're into fiscal responsibility, there are multiple options for you. Um, If you're into saving the environment as as your first voting Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, obligation, there are multiple parties that support that. And I think that allows cleaner discourse. And we saw, I mean, you mentioned when the, the leaders of the parties met for the coalition, there was a sort of kinship on display between they all knew That they had a chance to to do something positive for themselves, for their parties, but also for for the nation. And in a two-party system, it's just us versus them. And I think we and us are definitely more important Mm. pronouns when we're talking about political discourse. And yeah, it's not going to change in the UK anytime soon.
0: Also, thinking about the the sort of coalition. I mean, obviously, the new. I think it was very abundantly clear very early on that there was whatever party won the majority of votes were still going to have to form a coalition. Do you not remember in 2010 mm-hmm. when the liberal Democrats and the Tories were uh, eventually formed their own coalition, the amount of like yeah. histrionics about it, it was, it, it sort of fouled the water for any possible coalition in the future. Cause it's like this British perception that coalitions mean weakness. And it's like, no, like, okay, you're going to have to maybe water down some of the policies that you wanted, but compromise is not a bad thing. I remember there was some documentaries it was like 10 days that shook the world or something and it was a reference to them negotiating the coalition i'm like fucking hell get a grip like it's not it's a coalition it isn't the end of the world but i don't think we'll ever see another coalition
1: it was the end of the liberal democrats for a generation and nick clegg of course is now working at facebook Doing the God's work. <laughs>
0: yeah, of course he is. <laughs> He's doing God's work in Facebook. Suckling at the at Mark Zuckerberg's teat, you know? Like, that's what you yeah. want. That's where the money is, apparently.
1: <laughs> there's no morals, but there's the, this the is, money. This is. platform has the real democracy, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go swimming in the ocean?
0: Uh, I'm going to tell me where the ocean is, and then I'll, I'll go to it. Are we talking about going to Italy, maybe? I mean, or,
1: uh, we're quite landlocked around here, you know? I mean, yeah, we're, we're a good 500 kilometers away from the ocean, as we've complained about when it comes to getting our fresh fish. No, I, how about Cornwall? Cornwall's a lovely part of the world. Nice... Gulf Stream, temperate, the surf there is lovely. Germans like Cornwall, obviously, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of romantic novels. Set. <laughs> uh,
0: there was it, um, Rosamund Pilker, or Pilcher, I can't remember how we're meant to pronounce her name. I think it's, we've gem- gem- Germanized, Germanized it, Germanized it. We've made it more German. Yeah, th- so um, yeah, I mean, I've been to Cornwall. I think, I believe I have swum in the sea near Cornwall. I, I had a pretty positive experience, a lot of good surfing down there, from what I remember. Yeah, it seems all right. What I mean, have you got some terrible
1: news for me? First thing you need to do is you need to go to your doctor oh. and just check all your jabs are up to date. I mean, obviously, you've got your COVID. We know you're protected for that. But yeah, like nasty waterborne bacteria might be, it might be worth getting that jab, those jabs. Are
0: we still talking about the British coast here? Or are we talking about some, some jungle environment <laughs> where I'm going to have some small fish swimming through my ear or something like that? <laughs>
1: But no, we are t- we're, we're talking about millions and millions of litres of of human shit just being washed away in, into the British Ocean. Yeah,
0: I think I think you're going to have to give give the the poor listener uh, who suffered suffered that description a little bit more <laughs> detail. What's what's actually happening in in Britain, Simon? What what is going on currently in in Britain with regards to waterways and cleanliness and hygiene?
1: Well, I mean, the headline is raw sewage is being is poisoning British seas as well as all waterways rivers uh, and the light lakes i think so far are generally safe so tory mps are currently defending votes after sewage proposals water management proposals were contested by the house of lords uh, through the environment bill and that bill would place legal duties on the companies the water companies to reduce their discharge and this bill was defeated by 265 to 202 last week and this means that there is basically no real policing of effluent management and dirty water management from these companies at the moment they have basically carte blanche. Uh, There have been some fines handed out but um, that doesn't seem to have deterred them at all and there is multiple or there are multiple locations in the UK pretty much the whole of the south coast I think the northeast is looking pretty good so far but everywhere on the south coast is basically unsafe now you are not allowed to swim in the water in multiple tourist destinations all over the south coast because the ocean is literally dangerously full of shit
0: there's a statistic that I I had to read like several times before I could like fully comprehend it which was that water companies Discharged raw sewage in the rivers in England more than four hundred thousand times last year. Mm Four hundred thousand times, and you're like, "What the fuck?" (laughs) Like, and that was was from information and figures published by the Environment Agency. It just seems like the they're just like, "Fuck it, let's just do this, save money." And it's such a it's such a weird argument. There's so many elements of this discussion that's so weird. That like they're running this environment bill through through Parliament, and for those who don't know, the process is bills are presented in 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 the Commons and debated and then taken to the Lords for amendments. And the Lords made some amendments, sent it back to the Commons, and the Commons voted them down mm-hmm. on the back of to- Tory votes. There was a debate I saw yesterday where someone was saying, I think I don't know if it was a Labour politician or a Lib Dem politician, I can't remember who who it was, but he was saying that. They said after Brexit that environment standards would stay the same, and the Tory minister who was on the other side was literally shaking their head. And I'm like, I remember that. Mm. I remember you saying this. This isn't ancient history, you know. Like I could Google it and find the quotes. You know, it's not hard.
1: It it wasn't a junior minister making that promise either. It was Michael Goat. Yeah, yeah. It was basically the head of the government or one of the top five honchos publicly stating that. But yeah, the the, the gaslighting that the, the British government is, is doing on a daily basis at the moment about these kinds of concrete statements that are matters of public record is it's really shocking. It's madness. So one of the one of the most sort of dominant voices when it comes to this discussion is a man called Fergal Sharkey. If you know who Fergal Shark is, then I doth my cap to you because he's a legend. He was the singer of the band The Undertones. Oh, really? (laughs) Famous for teenage kicks, teenage dreams, sorry. Like absolute punk rock anthem. And yeah, he's all over this is Fergal. So yeah, thank you. Fergal for that song, Incredible Albums, uh, and fighting the good fight here. And he's come out and said that every single river in England is polluted, and quote, a major cause is the water industry dumping sewage. The truth is that what we're looking at is the result of a massive underinvestment in infrastructure for the last 30 years, and a complete failure of oversight and regulation of the industry by Ofwat, the Environment Agency and the government itself. I think it's a really important point that he makes. I mean, yeah, we obviously,
0: we're not fans of the Tories, but it's not just the Tories that have, have been a part of this. It, the the Labour government mm. from, from 97 to 2010 didn't do anything about it either. And I think there's a lot of problems that came out of that period. And I think there's not just the wars that were fought, but there was a lot of like Megan hay while the sun shines and not really a lot of mm-hmm. investment in, in, in case something went tits up. They're really bought into this idea that the economy is just going to keep growing and keep getting better, and then suddenly in 2007 mm-hmm. they get hit in the face by, by a frying pan shaped like a financial crisis. <laughs> you end up with this, this like disaster basically, which was we're sort of still recovering from, and then you have Brexit, which doesn't really help. But it's madness, especially when you consider how many British people would say or even just English people would say the countryside is a really big part of, mm-hmm. of their identity and, and how important the coastline is. We're a freaking island. How many times did that come up? An island nation, you know, a small mm-hmm. island nation taking on the world, global Britain, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, you've got, you've got shit in your water, mate.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, What are you doing?
1: What are you doing? You're absolutely right. And there are a lot of issues that, that contribute to this, but I think, The main one has been the fact that these water companies are private businesses run for profit, and they are providing a service that has been subpar for for years. And I I speak with with some knowledge of this because my first job after university was working for one of these companies as part of their customer uh, service team. Worst job I ever had, and it's the reason I would never do call centre work again. It seems reasonable. And I'm sad to say that the second worst company on this list for the amount of sewage put into rivers is the company i worked for so shout out to seven trent you bunch of bastards Uh, you are really letting your customers down on a financial level on a service level and on an ethical level so yeah good job on that
0: yeah looking at looking at this this yeah i know i can i understand the the sort of exasperation (laughs) that you'd feel but you've got these the all these different groups uh, right at the top you've got United Utilities. Like that already sounds like a corporate disaster waiting to happen. Now, who do you work mm-hmm. for? United Utilities. <laughs> ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, and and the water companies discharge sewage into rivers from from for more than three million hours. And and this is the hours of storm overflows in twenty twenty. And United Utilities has seven hundred and twenty six thousand four hundred and fifty. That's like that's a lot of time to be just dumping shit
1: into the water, you know? Like, it's a lot of time for that to be happening. Well, I mean, when you look further down the list, we'll see one of them is Thames. Mm. And, of course, Thames Water are responsible for running the capital. They run the most complex and heavily used water service in the entire entirety of the island. Yeah, the whole of the isles. And they are 20%. Of the failure rate now of course this is just about storm overflows and this is of course there are lots of facts and counter arguments against this stuff but storm overflows happen when water can't be processed because of the excess water created by storms mm. so this is a pretty understandable position to be in when there's too much water to manage based on your capacity there is this this let off let's call it but of course the issue we're facing today isn't purely about storm overflows it's also about treatment capacity and that treatment capacity in the UK has shrunk dramatically because of a lack of chemicals to treat the sewage with. Those chemicals originate in the EU and so Brexit has co- made it basically impossible for these to be uh, imported mm. into the UK. The issue is that the UK doesn't have the capacity to handle their own product. This isn't about storm overflow. This is about handling normal capacity and... I understand the MPs are in a complex position where if they don't pump the sewage out into the ocean, it will back up into the system and could, in the worst case scenario, go into consumers' properties. And of course, it is better to have shit flowing into the ocean where nobody sees it um, than into people's sinks, toilets uh, and bathtubs. That is not anything you want to see apart from a pretty bad horror movie so i am sympathetic to this this position they're in but at the same time come on like how is it possible this late into the game five and a half years since brexit became sort of a reality Mm. how is it the case that this is acceptable in the eyes of mps and of course it's not in the eyes of the constituents people are furious i'm furious and i don't live there like this isn't going to affect me. i'm not going swimming in in Bournemouth Beach this weekend. I'd be so fucking furious if I was back home and lived in a coastal community. Your livelihoods are being destroyed in front of you because an MP can't be fucked. I did some pretty basic research looking up Abwasser and and, and
0: sewage overflows in Germany. And it happens, the same process happens where you have, obviously we've had tremendous amounts of rainfall during the summer. There was the flood in North Rhine-Restphalen and and it it is an issue where you have human effluent and and various other things you wouldn't want in your waterways getting into the waterways. But with each instance, there's like, oh, we've got a plan, we're trying to work something out. I mean, great. I can understand ultimately that having a plan and, and actually putting that plan into action are two very different things and there is Mm -hmm. an element of like maybe we can just talk and talk until people stop paying attention to this but you have things like in berlin they have processes that they're trying to put into place to stop rainwater flowing into canals Uh, same in hessen trying to find solutions for clean water Um, stuttgart had issues It's, it's sort of all over the place it affects a lot of different people But at no point do you have the level of Orwellian, and I think the only way I could describe it, sort of Orwellian communication that you get in Britain, where you had essentially through, like, the first I knew about this issue was, I think on Saturday or Sunday, I was just, you were constantly seeing photos of MPs, like, being called out on Twitter saying, why did you vote to allow Mm -hmm. sewage to be pumped into waterways in Britain? And a photo of their MP and local MP. Every other post seemed to be that. And there was people talking about a series of Tory MPs basically sent out the same tweet. And Mm -hmm, that happens all the time. It happens all the time. And it it comes from WhatsApp groups. And it was something that they had when, when Dominic Cummings was the chief advisor, chief special advisor. And Dominic Cummings, for those of you who may not remember him, was advisor to Boris Johnson. He was also campaign manager for Brexit, for the main Brexit group you basically have this communication that you would get you would almost like communication you would get with like a a major conglomerate where everyone just says the same thing and if anyone asks Mm. it and it it happens happened over and over again if anyone asks a question of like who's right the experts or boris johnson and they'll just be a tory mp going boris johnson it's boris johnson correct and it's it's like a cult Mm. a cult at this point where you just can't believe literally can't believe anything they say because it's it's double speaking and mm. they're going, oh, no, we didn't say that. And then they'll play a clip of them saying it, like, five months ago, th- th- saying the thing they said they didn't say, you know. Oh, we never said that we would we'd, we would, we'd would, be able to keep standards the same as when we're in the EU, and then there's a clip of them saying it in Parliament. And you're just like, <laughs> it, it's insane that you've got this situation where they say this stuff, and then it's just blatantly false. It's just blatantly mm. false. And, and this is just one example of it, that... It's going to have real-world consequences for people. Like, when people can't go on holiday and they have to stay in Britain and they get onto the beach and they lay out their towels on the on the sand and then they take a, a quick walk around all the, like, needles and condoms that are on the beach and then they get in the shitty water and they all get fucking botulism. I don't know. Are they going to be so happy about having voted for Brexit? I don't know. Probably. Because... Because there's a lot of denial in that island. It just seems there's a lot of, a lot of not wanting to believe reality. Because the reality is what you what you see on social media or what you read in in the Daily Mail or what you see on GB News. It's mighty, mighty depressing. <laughs> yeah, tell <laughs> me about I'm, it. And I'm finally broken. Yeah, it's yeah. Done it for me. But what's even more bizarre, right, is through Brexit. Basically, what you had was a situation where people who wanted to remain were saying these arguments are more nuanced. We need to look at things in more detail, and all the Brexiteers were sort of going like, "Don't look at the detail, global Britain. We're gonna take, we're gonna get our independence back, right?" And they they basically smashed the ability to have a nuanced debate in their favor. And then when this happened, they are going, oh, oh, you need to, we need to think about the nuances. We've got a Victorian sewage <laughs> system that you, and we can't possibly afford to fix this system." It'll cost hundreds of billions of, of pounds. And you're like, you want nuance now. That's what you want. Well, th- that, that horse has bolted, you know. You, <laughs> you don't have the opportunity to have a nuanced discussion because you, you've wrecked that for over four years. And so now basically you've got people who are not having a nuanced debate posting things on twitter about my mp voted to dump shit into the water mm. and and tory mps who four years ago were saying don't look behind the curtain everything will be all right in the sunny uplands are going no actually we need to have a careful discussion about all these different scientific points it's like S- didn't you didn't you say something about people being sick of experts
1: uh, yeah that's a bit of a problem that
0: oh <laughs> <laughs> are you ready for the next topic
1: Well, I mean, the next one does lead on from where we already are, because um, we have an example here of uh, David T.C. Davies, um, who's the Conservative MP for Monmouth uh, Monmouth in South Wales. And he was criticised by a woman called Catherine Matby on Twitter for voting against this amendment to the environmental bill that would have forced water companies to reduce their discharge of effluent into rivers and seas. And... She tweeted at him, So, at David T.C. Davies, you voted yesterday to allow water companies to continue dumping raw sewage into our rivers. But you told Monmouth this was what was killing the wye and the usk to rivers in his constituency, beautiful rivers, and not the effect of intensive farming or poultry units near watercourses. And that was the end of her tweet. Uh, so highlighting at the end there that farmers had often be criticised for having their stock... And of course, the copious amount of of animal feces that would enter into the water supply—they were always targeted by local politicians for saying they're the reason that our water's polluted. So she, yeah, kind of pointed out a few things pretty fairly. A couple mm-hmm. of capital letter words in there, but generally pretty even-keeled. There was no criticism of him apart from his decision. No swearing. No. Yeah. No swearing. No ad hominem attacks. In response, Davies, who is also the Parliamentary Under-Secretary of State uh, in the Wales office, accused her of spreading hatred on Twitter, adding in the end, shame on you. Oh, shame on you. But this is a trend. This has been a trend
0: from, well, the recent murder of Sir David Amos, which was, I mean, it's tragic. It's a horrible story. Uh, and yeah. by all accounts he was a very he was a very upstanding guy from the from the tributes that were given in the House of Commons it seemed that he was a very well respected member of Parliament mm-hmm. and now it seems like they're using this violent attack as a pretense to shut down any discussion like you can't criticise me, you're, you're increasing hatred and now you've got politicians saying you can't write raw sewage and the word this in a tweet at me in capitals because that's spreading hatred on twitter mm. and you yeah it's like we're really in we're in 1984 it's like don't believe don't believe anything you hear don't believe anything that anyone says because next week we'll be saying something different yeah it's totally nuts it's totally nuts
1: but yeah social media is very much in their crosshairs at the moment and step right up nadine dorries oh god who is The new Culture Secretary, and Nadine has decided that in her role as Culture Secretary, this means she has to control culture, Um, to the point of policing who is going to be running the BBC next. And of course, the BBC is not part of the Conservative Party, nor is it part of government. It is supposed to be an independent body, run by money from the public. But she has now said that social media has poisoned public life, and she is now... Uh, pledge that fines will be levied against these companies if they amplify hateful content. So I, I guess if we share one of Boris Johnson's articles comparing tank top wearing bum boys, I think he said. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I believe he described, was it people in Africa as... Is- uh, or, pe- or going to visit people in Africa with watermelon smiles. Picking right? yeah. with watermelon smiles. It was oh, right. even Sorry. worse. I'd, I'd, I missed out, <laughs> out that really bad. They're horrendous, uh, racist. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, she said, online hate is poisoned public life. It's often unbearable and it has to end. And she said that the online safety bill will force tech giants to identify and remove illegal content quickly. And you're like, right. Does it though? Does it do that? Like, can we believe that you, Nadine Dorries, and the people who are working behind you are actually capable of producing a piece of legislation that will hold Twitter, Facebook uh, to account? It sounds good in a tweet. Mm -hmm. It sounds good in a soundbite. And given her track record, which I'm sure you're wanting to move on to, (laughs) you'll understand why we're skeptical as to whether um, Nadine Dorries has the capabilities to actually do anything about online
1: abuse. So, I mean, do you want to run through her greatest hits? Before before we get to our race, it's just the, the fact that everything seems to be personal with Nadine Dorries. And it's, it's one thing you just don't expect from a, from a member of parliament. I mean, she's the, the MP for my hometown. She's Guildford's <laughs> MP. Oh, now, one of the things she's most famous for, of course, is appearing on reality TV.
0: Right. Was she the one who went on... Uh, I'm a Celebrity, again out, out, out. Of here. Yeah. yeah.
1: And this was... The turning point for her career as a politician and after that of course when you eat i think it was an anus is what it was she. A, it ate. was a kangaroo anus yeah, i believe was yeah. I, I wasn't sure which animal ate. it doesn't really matter which animal it is it's an anus
0: but didn't she <laughs> didn't she go on that show as parliament was sitting it wasn't even that yeah. the parliament was in recess yeah, it, was. it was like she was she basically just did one to australia to go eat Kangaroo anuses when she should be doing a
1: job out of office. I'm afraid yeah. you'll reach me based on a public vote. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll be back yeah. in two to four weeks. It depends how many anuses I can eat. <laughs> All under the watchful eye of Anton Deck. Lovely stuff. Well, you know, I'm not going to criticize fellow Geordies, so <laughs> they're
0: just presenting it. You know, it's not their fault. <laughs>
1: Okay, so a couple of the things that sort of get in the way of Nadine Doherty's is accusations at the moment about how how bad, hateful social media is, is that she's actually been not only a victim, I'm not arguing that for a moment, she has been targeted and horrible things have been written and sent to her. Mm-hmm. I'm sure uh, of, that, yeah. Yeah, apparently people said that they wanted to see her trapped in a burning car, Um, and watched the flames melt the flesh of my face is the quote that she gave to the press about what had been written about her. That, of course, is terrifying and awful and horrible. Recently, uh, she got in a spat with James O'Brien, the LBC presenter, one of my favourite daily listens, if I can get round to it. She got into a spat with him and called him all sorts of unnecessary things because he'd pointed something out. Uh, A quick search of the word scum in her tweets brings up multiple results uh, using that to describe people is definitely not great for a member of parliament well isn't it isn't isn't that a bit of a double standard
0: given the the fuss that was made when mm-hmm. angela rayner who's the deputy uh leader of the labor party referred to the tories as scum mm-hmm. and they were all like clutching their pills going you can't call us scum <laughs> it's hateful language and then you look at look at how many times she's used the word scum in a tweet and they're just there you know they're there, public record yeah <laughs> she's not deleted them you know, very I mean, the
1: strange. last the last one I thought of with her Twitter. I can't believe that it is still live. The tweet says, "I have now left the. Have I got news for you? After Party, a TV show on BBC One, very good topical news show. As I looked over my shoulder, Reginald D. Hunter was talking to my daughter. #Hashtag Where's my shotgun man? Now, for those of you who don't know who Reginald D. Hunter is, he is an American comedian, and he happens to be black. The fact that he's, I think, just a black man. Never mind American. Was enough to, for our culture minister to hashtag, "Where's my shotgun, man?" Yeah, as if he's some sort of sexual predator, you
0: know, because of yeah. him being black. That's basically the insinuation. But it it takes a it takes a special level of stupid to post that. And I honestly reckon she posted that and didn't even perceive the issue with it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I bet she thought it was going to be quite funny. And again, I think it's a lot of it. There's a lot less design and a lot more. Idiocy and and incapability that leads to these sorts of things. To have a sitting MP writing that shit on Twitter, like, and it wasn't even that recently. Nick Robinson, who is the political editor, I believe, mm-hmm. on the Today programme on Radio Four, he had uh, cut off Boris Johnson by basically telling him to to shut up because Boris Johnson stopped speaking. I think it. he
1: said it was a bit bit more polite than shut up, but yeah, yeah,
0: yeah I, I knew it wouldn't be shut up, but that would be that would be <laughs> excellent though on, on
1: BBC Radio Four. Yeah?
0: Shut up, mate Um, (laughs) because Boris Johnson will waffle and waffle and waffle because that's the strategy you waffle and waffle and waffle and then suddenly all the time's up and you have to go and you haven't really answered the question it's a very common Mm. strategy within British politics is you just answer in a really weird way or you address the question and then answer a different question that you wanted to answer Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of these sort of communication strategies that are employed and because he'd said to the uh, Prime Minister to stop talking she'd said that basically he'd cost the BBC a lot of money. And you're mm. just like, who who are you? Like, are you the fucking czarina of, of the culture department? Like it's it seems
1: almost like feudal, you know? The only thing that's really missing on her title on her business card is the word war because it's the, the war on culture secretary. Yeah, yeah. As cultural secretary your responsibility is to foster culture in all its forms in the UK. And instead she's using her platform to belittle and criticize. And it's it's the antithesis. Of what she should be doing. But of course, yeah, she's been put there for a reason. And it's because she's going to make waves and create an environment where anything pro-Boris, pro-conservative, is going to be viewed in a positive light. Because if you say anything against it, you will be smashed in public. I I feel like I need a drink now. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: need a beer or something, man. Like, this is only halfway through the episode. And already my brain hurts. Yeah, I
1: mean, these are just a couple of... like I. when I wrote you the message about this is what I'd like to talk about this week it was literally off the cuff like I didn't have any plan about these being the topics no. but it was just these are the visceral ones that happened in the last 48 hours that triggered me this much um, we're definitely missing yeah, things no. this is all yeah. sort of under-researched because if I spent my time researching like I normally do I would just be frothing at the mouth I'm again I'm so thankful for Germany providing me a safe haven from this like it's it's i'm furious and i'm hundreds and hundreds of kilometers away um yeah Yeah. so thank you germany (laughs) yeah cheers germany
0: all all i can all i can hear is courtney's voice and like in the distance going it's not as good as (laughs) 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 you think that's all i can think is like courtney will be listening this going like lads lads I uh, will have to invite Courtney, but on after we've done this episode and get her back on, and yeah, she can give us a, her opinion because I'd be I'd be delighted to hear it. I'm sure she'd have a lot. To yeah, share. I've
1: definitely failed to check my privilege today, and it's a very valid point. I, sh- I should have thought yeah, <laughs> more yeah. about that. Going no, into no, I think
0: <laughs> no. I- even, even if only one person listens to this podcast, really, it's this. This one's, this one's for you and me. <laughs> this is the, this is, it, yeah. this is this is the one for you and me. This is me and you can listen to this
1: uh, quietly in a dark room. Maybe we don't even release um, it. <laughs> Just, <laughs> <laughs> episode forty six, an hour and a half of silence. <laughs> <laughs> the silence, this
0: is this is what people need.
1: It's not a bad idea. the next one's funny at least this is this is, yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is quite entertaining need a, a dip of something slightly more sugary in our drink than this one so i mean yeah how would you describe this story nick what's, what's the essence of this
0: right so those of you who might have been paying attention to british news recently will know that there's been a serious problem with hgv drivers truck drivers uh, there's been a big issue since brexit because essentially amazingly given the arguments during the referendum the only now have they realized that maybe having uh truck drivers employing truck drivers from around europe to transport goods to britain was was quite a good thing uh, sadly due to the rather prescriptive uh, restrictions on on immigration that made it very difficult and, and also very unwelcoming for for foreign drivers to or Euro- mainland European drivers to come to Britain and, and drive these trucks. So there's massive shortages for a lot of different things. And they've been trying to find ways and solutions to do it. One uh, example was they they was this they were offering these sort of short-term visas mm-hmm. to truck drivers from around Europe. And I, I, watched, I watched a parliamentary committee last week where I think it was the head of the HGV drivers union said, if I was gonna design a process to fail Uh, then this would be the process I would design. And he was saying, like you need to make it at least 12 months because people aren't going to do it. And and as interviews have shown, people don't come to Britain and drive trucks because they don't feel like it's worthwhile and they certainly don't feel like they're being treated well. So, how do we solve the truck driving crisis? Well, one way is to allow low-level offenders who are currently in prison to plug the gap. And so we've got low-level offenders on day release who will be uh, driving trucks in order to 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 supply
1: supermarkets and shops with with goods or pet- petrol at one pound fifty a litre. Uh. All <laughs> oh, right, yeah, of course. We haven't even talked about the petrol yes. yet. More. <laughs> but the, the video,
0: you encouraged me to watch the video before we started the podcast, and it might be the funniest thing I've seen. And you only need to watch the first 10 seconds where it introduces a, a young man who is, who is a, a low-level offender who is out on day release driving. And the irony upon ironies is the reason he's in prison was for, imp- for, for smuggling drugs into the country in an HGV. <laughs>
1: truck. It's definitely worth watching. Uh, So if you just uh, googled ITV Criminal HGV it would get you to Dean. And Dean is amazing. His delivery in the video is perfect. So thank you very much to Dean for 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 getting in front of the camera and explaining (laughs) your deal because it is perfect but i don't necessarily think this is a bad idea right i don't think it i definitely want to make it clear i am all for people being allowed to work whilst they're in prison i mean you can look at one of the most noble versions of this is firefighters all over the west coast in the u.s huge amount of convicts workers as, as firefighters during the, the terrifying Forest fires, there, I think, is fantastic. Mm. The issue being they aren't allowed to work as firefighters after they've been released because of their criminal records. You have to have a clean criminal record in California, at least. So that needs addressing. But anyway, getting people to work and contribute to society it's fantastic and i i'm all for it but it's just mind-blowing that the person they managed to interview that day doing it had been caught and sent to prison for smuggling drugs in the vehicle he was driving that day it's you couldn't have scripted it better so yeah good job itv
0: the journalist must have been rubbing his hands he was just like this is so good this is so choice chef's kiss Mwah. uh <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things as well where you, you there's this belief that prison should be punishing and it should uh, dehumanize people and and that's often the position like if if a politician wants to sound tough they'll talk about tougher sentences and they'll talk about tougher conditions in prison and it's this like floating idea around britain that all well, prisoners in jail are living in the life of luxury and have, have got playstations and widescreen televisions um, yet yeah, every documentary I've watched about British prisons has been harrowing and horrific and horrible and it's not something that, that you'd want to experience even for a widescreen television and a PlayStation 4
1: I mean there are a handful of prisons in the UK that I think are of a decent standard but the majority, mm-hmm. anything Victorian era is is unbelievable that it's still in use today it is, it is terrifying the prospects mm-hmm. of spending time in one of those prisons. There is a part of me that takes solace in the fact that I know if I really fuck up my life and I end up in prison here, I'm I'm going to get out. I'm I'm going to be okay. I trust the German prison system so much more than I do the UK one. And I mean, when you look at like yeah. some other countries, like Denmark yeah. and Greenland, a totally different approach.
0: Wasn't it Sweden that was closed in prisons? Because the the recidivism rate was so low mm-hmm. that there was just didn't like they didn't need to need them anymore <laughs> and like that should be the sort of target is that you, yeah you, people come out of prison and they don't offend again i think i think it's a good it's a good initiative i do think it smacks of desperation
1: mind you oh yeah it, 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 that is the headline government will take anyone with an hgv license is, is what the headline really is. And at least they've
0: stopped sending letters to Germans with, with driving license li- licences issued before 1999 and hoping that they will give up their jobs as bankers to become fucking HGV drivers. We've got progress at least of some kind.
1: Yeah, I, we need a silver lining. <laughs> so I guess that's it. <laughs> <laughs> hello thank you for persevering with this episode i hope it wasn't too depressing or intense or stressful listening to us get wound up we will return as normal with far more german focused content in the weeks ahead and more guests are coming uh, some familiar faces and some familiar topics to revisit as well a big thank you to al dilly karen and marianne who all retweeted or shared the show if you're enjoying the podcast why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and it can really help us. Retweet us, share a link or post with the hashtag decades from home all lowest case on twitter or instagram we are available everywhere as ever if you have any questions feedback or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover you can tweet me simon on decades from home and you can tweet nick at 40 Percent german you can also get us at 40 german at gmail.com if you have time take a look at 40 german.com as well weekly articles are up every saturday all that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten mal adieu <laughs> i like it